everyone. This is Greg Jevonson, Editor-in-Chief at Writer Magazine. Normally, I'm your host for the Writer Magazine Insider Podcast, but we're fortunate to have contributing editor Scott Williams, also known as Bones, as our guest host for episode 62. Scott interviewed Ed Condy as part of an upcoming profile of Ed that will be published in Writer Magazine. Scott and Ed are fellow Bay Staters, or Massachusettsans, boy, that's a mouthful, who have been riding together for years. Both are part of the New England Riders, a loosely knit but passionate group of motorcyclists who get together for rides, track days, and other activities. Although he didn't start riding motorcycles until he was 47, Condi has cultivated a reputation as a leading routemeister, as Bones calls him. Over the past 20 years, Condi has done extensive research and developed an impressive catalog of excellent motorcycling routes throughout Eastern North America, from Newfoundland to Alabama. In this episode, Scott and Ed talk about their shared interest in sport touring, how they met through a Honda ST1300 group, and what goes into developing a first-class motorcycle route. They also discuss the challenges of using Garmin Basecamp software, the pros and cons of maps versus GPS, and the valuable resources that are available on the NewEnglandRiders.org website. I hope you enjoy the episode. I want to thank Scott Williams for being our guest host. And you can check out my interview with Scott on episode 41. Thanks for listening and keep the rubber side down. Hi, uh, this is Scott Williams. I'm here today with my special guest, Ed Condi. Um, I wanted to start by thanking Greg Drevenstead, the editor-in-chief of Rider Magazine, uh, for the opportunity to be a guest host for this edition of Rider Insider Podcast. And we're going to be talking with, uh, with Ed Condi, who is uh, my personal friend and the one person that I go to for questions about uh, putting together routes for great places to ride a motorcycle. There's there's nobody quite like Ed for doing that. What's interesting is uh, how I I met Ed. Um, this cool fall morning, I think it was 2009, and a, a bunch of riders from the Honda ST13 community met at uh, Dunkin' Donuts in West Boylston, Massachusetts. Uh, we were completing a stage of the Pony Express Relay. Uh, basically, it's like a poker run for charity, but we were all long distance riders. So our our poker run eventually crisscrossed the country three times. And we would stop at the state capitol buildings at each of the lower 48 states and hand off the relay bag to the next rider, you know, Pony Express style. So Ed, who I was meeting for the first time, had the bag and he offered to lead about half a dozen of us from Central Mass to downtown Boston. And there he officially would hand off the bag to me and I would take it for the next leg. So short story is I was floored, absolutely floored that Ed found so many fun winding roads to get us there. It's not that Eastern Massachusetts suddenly became Western North Carolina, but Ed assembled a route that was challenging and entertaining it followed scenic curvy roads in good repair with little traffic. It was really uncanny. And in the 14 years that Ed and I have been friends, I've come to know that as signature Ed. So I got to ask you, Ed, where did you get your talent for creating such engaging motorcycle routes? Well, thanks for having me, Bones, and uh, Ryder. And uh, it uh, actually came from uh, my old ski days in which uh, we would travel all over the Northeast and into Canada, trying to hit every nice ski area in the region. And it was kind of boring going on interstates all the time. So we started looking for nice roads, interesting things to see 
while we were doing our ski trips. And uh, over many years, we managed to hit most of the different ski uh, areas. And uh, I started uh, marking up maps, trying to keep track of all of my favorite things. And uh, over time, I had uh, a whole bunch of maps all highlighted with things that I really enjoyed. And those came in handy years later when I started motorcycling and started seeing all those same roads again, but in the summer with leaves on the trees, which was pretty, uh, pretty nice to see them in the uh, summertime instead of all full of uh, ice and snow. All right, so you said when you started motorcycling some years later, how, how old were you when you started riding? I was 47. I came to motorcycling late. And uh, but I think that made it so that I appreciated it maybe a bit more than I would have if I had done it when I was younger. And uh, younger, I was doing other things, but my brother uh, offered me a, a little taste. He uh, got a bike and he said, Hey, you want to try it out? And being the good brother that I am, I figured, Why not? Let's <laughs> give it a try. You're being and, so helpful. Uh, absolutely. And so, I went on a ride with it and I thought, wow, I mean, this reminds me a lot of skiing. I mean, we are banking into our turns. We're going and uh, getting to see great scenery. And it was a whole bunch of fun. And I was hooked from the first ride. I just thought that it was amazing that you could uh, go out and do some of the same things on the roads that we were doing on the slopes and have a great time doing it. So the first motorcycle you rode, what was that? That was an old Honda Shadow VLX. It was uh, a really good bike to start on because it was very underpowered, very low seat, easy to ride. And uh, my brother, great guy, he said, here, why don't you just take it for a while and uh, keep it as long as you want. So I did. And so I just started riding all around, uh, checking different roads out and different areas and uh, just went from there. What about the first motorcycle that you uh, you owned yourself? I'm guessing you had to give that one back to your brother at some point. What, what was your first ride? Well, I he then gave me a Sportster to ride, which I rode for a couple of years. And uh, my wife, Debbie, uh, has fond memories of that bike because parts would keep coming off and she'd have to dodge them on the bike as a new rider. And uh, so it was a lot of fun riding that bike. We had a lot of fun on it. But then one, one day I took a trip to California with my brother and uh, we rented bikes and I rented a BMW 1200RT, a nice sport tourer. And that really opened my eyes because up until that point, I hadn't been on a bike quite like that before. And uh, with the RT, I was really able to carve the turns and feel the power. And it just hit something visceral inside of me. And ever since, I've been riding sport touring bikes. And so the first one I had myself was an old Honda ST1100. And from there, I've since had two uh, 1300 STs. And now I, I'm looking for my next sport tour, and I'm really not sure what I'm going to end up on. Huh. Yeah, well, it's so interesting that you uh, had a, an ST1300, and I did. 
at at the time. That was how we uh, actually came together was through the BST thirteen hundred community. So that's kind of an interesting segue to to motorcycling communities. The one that we're still connecting through all the time is uh, NER, uh, New England Riders. And there's uh, an interesting bit of history about New England Riders and and how it started and how it really has grown to become a lot more than than just New England. Um, so how did you first find out about NER? It was just an online search for uh, motorcycling in New England. And uh, it was the first thing that popped up. And so I watched the group for a while just to get an idea of uh, what it was like. And uh, the first thing I noticed was that there wasn't a lot of the bickering and meanness that there was on other groups that I had uh, looked in on. And this one, everyone seemed to get along pretty well. And uh, they also were on different bikes. I mean, it's, it was a little unusual at the time to see groups that people were on uh, cruisers, they were on sport bikes. And I kind of liked that. That appealed to me that yeah, the thinking wasn't too rigid. And so we started meeting up. I went to a number of events. I met Bob Fessmeyer, who was the head of the group at the time. And we just seemed to click. I love the culture. I love the way that they made everyone feel welcome and uh, just went from there. So how would you describe the culture of any area? Say you like it. What, what is it you like about it? There's no rules for one thing. It doesn't have a strict uh, hierarchy. It doesn't have a bunch of rules in which you have to do things a certain way. There's no preferred bike. The main thing in the group is to just be a decent human being, treat people well. And uh, no matter what you're on, no matter what you're riding, no matter what you're wearing, it doesn't matter. Everyone is welcome as long as they treat other people well. And for me, that really hit a chord. I really enjoyed that because uh, I had been to a couple of events and some other groups. And if I didn't have the right bike or if I didn't wasn't wearing the, uh, the right thing, I didn't feel like I really was welcome. I belonged. Whereas with NER, I felt like I was with, uh, among friends from the first day. And uh, it's uh, the fact that you could go to an event and see sport bikes and you could see trikes, you could see tourers, cruisers all together and everyone getting along and treating each other well. That, that really appealed to me and I liked that a lot. I can tell you from my own experience with NER that one of the things that, uh, that I like about it is how welcoming the group is to women riders. And uh, you probably have some special insight into that because I happen to know that you had seven sisters growing up. I did. And you, <laughs> you learned uh, to uh, treat your sisters and women well. Otherwise, there's ramifications. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, also, you see that sometimes women riders can face challenges that, uh, that the males don't have to face and in being included and feeling like they are welcome in a group and their thoughts and what they do really are important. And in our group, it is. And it's something that we have tried over 
the years to be very attuned to. We want to be a place where women riders can come to events and feel welcome. And I think we've done a good job of that. I would, would have to agree with that. And one of the things that's nice too is that you're just as likely to see women at some of the events that NER takes part in, like the non-sport bike track days, the training days at the track, uh, where women show up on their bikes and they're doing track days like anybody else. Um, and it's, uh, it's nice to, to feel like you can be in a group and you don't have to be in a group that is, that is just for women in order to feel like you're, you're welcome. You can just be in the group. Absolutely. And uh, not only are they participating, they're doing better than most of the guys. I mean, I could tell you from experience that uh, at these events, the women seem to listen better and apply what they learn a little better than the average guy does. And we have some women riders in our group that can ride the wheels off their bike. I mean, they're really tremendous and their skills are top notch. And uh, we've done some rides uh, together where uh, I look in my mirror and my wife and the other women riders are behind me. And I'm just taken by how perfect everything is. I mean, it's just amazing. And I wish uh, more groups would be able to include their women riders and make them feel welcome as well, because uh, they just add so much to the group. And I'm very uh, grateful that they're part of NER. I'm pretty sure that I met your wife, uh, Deborah, at, uh, at a track day. So probably the very first uh, track day that NER you know, sponsored, for lack of a better term, it was the first time that uh, there had been a track day set up specifically, I mean, in our area, certainly, but set up specifically for folks that weren't riding sport bikes. Uh, and, and the idea would be to spend some time in a classroom, uh, focus on a skill, go on the track and, and work on that skill, come back, have some time to talk to, to your instructors or your fellow riders, and then back to the classroom again. And that, that cycle worked throughout the day. And it was great because you had a chance to practice um, some of these uh, skills, throttle control and braking and, and working your lines through turns, um, they're all things that you can practice at speed, you know, safely on a track. And then when it comes time to, uh, to transition those skills for safer riding on the road, it's, it's a very smooth transition. But I met Debbie at the, the track day and uh, she, was, uh, she was doing great and loving every bit of it. I remember that day. It was at Thompson, Connecticut. And yeah. uh, I remember you riding really well as well. I mean, you rocked it that day. Oh, and thank uh, you. it's uh, those non-sport track days are the best training uh, days that I know of. And they've been uh, sponsored by Riding in the Zone, Ken Condon and Tony's track days. And uh I think a lot of people think of track days as going to the races, going and on a track and riding accordingly, whereas that is far from the case here. These non-sport bike track days are a day in which you can go and just work on things on your bike like any other great road. If uh, you want to work on the same turn over and over again, apply what you listen and hear in a classroom to on the uh, road, you can do that. And you can do it in a way where you don't need to worry about oncoming traffic, 
and uh, things on the road. And it's very freeing. It's very nice that way in which you can have a great day riding and learning things at the same time and have expert instruction, people giving you feedback, videos, these uh, photos, and you get a really good idea of how you're doing and what you can do to perhaps make your riding a little better. Uh, we were talking about great women riders. Uh, Ken Condon's daughter, Janine, is one of the people that I've had as instructor at track day a number of times. And boy, she's a, a great teacher like her dad. And also uh, talking about riding the wheels off a bike. Um, she was great working on um, following her and, and following her line through uh, the various turns. This was at the uh, Palmer Motorsports Park. Great lot of fun. You're tired at the end of a, a track day like that. It's, it's a good workout mentally and physically. And it, it's also a hoot because you know you get to go as fast as you really want. Um, although you learn pretty early on that uh, you want to develop your smoothness first and the speed kind of develops out of being smooth. Absolutely. Uh, they make it look awfully easy, don't they? Yeah. Well, they spend a lot of time on the track developing just those things. The best ones always look like they're hardly working. It just uh, they are so smooth that it makes uh, it look like they are just it's second nature to them. Whereas uh, some of the other, uh, some of the rest of us have to work a little bit harder. So moving on to the uh, the Rootmeister, Ed Condi, we were talking about the maps that you developed that you uh, put all the great places to to ride and and eat and sleep and places to see great um, sights and all uh, from the skiing days. How did you make that transition to motorcycling and, and how did you take care or take advantage of the improvements in technology from paper maps to what we have now? I started with the paper maps and highlighting all of the roads. And I probably have about a hundred maps here that uh, have yellow scribbled all over them. And uh, from there, I went to streets and trips in which I basically repeated the same thing with online with a yellow highlight. And then I was out in an NER ride and I saw Jim Cormier with a GPS following a route. And uh, that, that seemed great to me because up until that point, I was leading rides for NER using spreadsheets and trying to keep track of mileage during the ride to make sure that I turned at the right place. But then you'd have all these uh, turns with no street signs. You weren't actually sure. And if you had to detour, then it was really hard because your mileage counts were now all off. And you had to be riding and uh, try to remember, okay, uh, take those numbers and subtract 7.4. And then I, and it, it could be a challenge at times. Seeing him with a GPS, I thought that was great because you could just follow a route and almost turn your mind off to routing and put all of your energy on the road, what you're passing, cars that are coming, and safety. And that appealed to me a lot. So I bought myself a GPS and tried to learn it best I can. Back in the day, it was uh, Garmin Mapsauce. I remember and that. Yes. And so at the time, I was leading a lot of rides, but I also started hosting trips for New England riders. 
And we would go to different locations. Back A couple of the early ones were uh, Stowe, Vermont, and um, Lake George, New York. And my wife, Debbie, and I, Debbie rides with me almost everywhere. We uh, would go to these locations three, four, however many times it took to ride every road, every road in the area that looked promising. And before these trips, I'd go on Google Maps and paper maps and uh, look at squiggly lines, look at things that looked interesting that would run along rivers, up over mountains, had very little cross streets, went through parks. And we would try to hit all of those different roads on our scouting trips. And once we had done all of them, we'd weed it all down to the very best of a region. And we would use those as the basic for our trip rides. And a place like Stowe, we've done, I think it's eight or nine different trips there over the years. So each time we would go back, we tweaked the rides a little more until we were left with what I felt was the very best riding in that particular region. But then over time, I've been doing these trips now for almost 20 years. We uh, had trips up in Maine. We had trips all through New Hampshire, Vermont, all through New York, Pennsylvania, Ohio. We have one up and coming in West Virginia. All these scouting trips have merged together. And we now have a site where it's the best of the Northeast and the best of the Appalachians where we're covered Newfoundland to Alabama. So we now have all the best rides, roads, scenic views, attractions, hotels, restaurant that covers all the best riding in the East. And uh, it's something that has taken many, many years to put together, but I'm very happy with where we are now. I'm uh, pretty close to done updating that. But, you know, if I see anything or one of our riders shares something that looks appealing, we'll go and we'll ride it, we'll visit it to see if it is uh, worth adding to the site. And if it is, then we'll add it. And so everything on there has been visited and has been uh, tried out, whether it's a road or a restaurant, to make sure that it is one of the best things in the region. And we try very hard not to list everything good, just the best things. And that way, people aren't overwhelmed by a huge amount of information. There's still a lot of information there because there's a lot of good riding. But if you ride a road or do a ride that is on that website, you can pretty much count that it's going to be good. That website, by the way, is newenglandriders.org. And it is a fabulous resource. Um, a number of us were involved in a, a site upgrade uh, about two years ago now. And uh, it's very user-friendly, um, easy to find uh, routes. You can go by the trips that Ed's mentioning. Uh, you can search that way. You can search by a locale, you know, pick a state. Um, you can download all the best roads from a particular area and then just piece them together yourself and uh, make routes that, uh, that work for your location or your other travel plans. Uh, NewEnglandRiders.org is a, a fabulous, fabulous resource.
You know, if I could, I'd like to give a shout out to Steve Gallant. Steve is a uh, webmaster who spent a lot of time upgrading our website from an old Microsoft website, which I was able to do to something a lot nicer. And Steve spent an incredible amount of time updating this site, making it modern and making it very easy to use. And Steve is a, a legit long distance rider, having been involved in the Iron Butt rallies. And uh, he's somebody that not only understands the world of computing, but he's a, a motorcycle guy. So that uh, lends a lot of great insight into making the resource not just usable, but usable and really useful for people that ride. Yes, yeah, Steve yeah. is also a great guy. <laughs> yeah, we're yes, very absolutely. fortunate to have him as part of the group. Now, one of the things that is so nice about this website is if all you want to do is download existing routes uh, to a GPS, you don't even have to, to know how to do a whole lot of anything uh, computerized. You can basically download the, the routes and just drop them on your GPS and go. So there, there's also something that uh, exists on the, the website that helps people that uh, might not know how to take advantage of Garmin's Basecamp navigation program. Uh, which is a really powerful program. It's just unfortunately not one that Garmin seems to see the value in supporting. Um, so I'll, I'll actually get Ed to describe how is it that that New England Riders is helping the people of the world that want to learn how to use Basecamp do it well? We take great pride in making the roots plug and play, like you said, where people don't have to do any modifications at all to have a great day. And, but a lot of people do like to create their own routes and do so in a location where we may not have a ride available. So for them, we listed our best roads and uh, best uh, views, et cetera, so they could make their own rides. And of all the apps and programs that I've used, Basecamp has been the most powerful because of its database structure. And I saw that a lot of people were having a hard time learning it. And like you said, uh, there's really not a lot of help on Garmin's site to help people learn that program. So we wrote a couple of agendas in which it's basically you do along uh, what the agenda is saying and you experience it for yourself rather than just seeing a video or uh watching something you're actually doing it along with the agenda and uh, i've taught a number of courses on base camp and doing it this way seems to be a way where people remember it best and have the best uh, chance of success so with these agendas which garmin has been using as their help files for a number of years you can learn within a few hours how to use that program, but it has to be uh, someone that is able to look at written directions, follow them, and feels comfortable doing that. And if you can do that, it's a really great place to uh, go, and it's a great program to use. I know that uh, my own experience, having taken a couple of the courses that you've taught, is that the best way to learn the program is, is to use it. And those agendas, which you can download on the New England Riders website, take you step by step from how to set up your GPS to the simplest uh, routing steps to if you 
wanted to go that far to some of the more powerful aspects of timing and building in uh, waypoints and, and all sorts of things that are, are really useful. And then you can develop your own library of routes. It makes it great to be able to share them with other riders. It uh, just, you need to make a bit of effort to, to learn it, but it's, it actually goes a lot more smoothly than uh, you might, uh, might think it does because following the agenda makes it uh, work really quite nicely. Yes, the program's not intuitive. If you just uh, try to go on and figure it out, it can lead to uh, a lot of frustration. But uh, following the agenda, I think it uh, can be very manageable to learn it in the day. And uh, with Basecamp, you can create, and I do this all the time, a great route anywhere in the East within just a couple of minutes. And uh, I can guarantee the combination of the NDR website and Basecamp will make it so that you can put together your own great rides very uh, you mentioned the word in the uh, the east and for the many writer magazine subscribers that don't happen to live in the east they might not appreciate how many great roads there really are in the east i mean out west everything's wide open spaces and um, there's a lot of scenic beauty you come to the east and it's more congested but there's also been people living here for so long a lot of the the roads that uh, used to be you know, for for horse and buggy, um, a lot of them just got paved, and they still are very beautiful, twisty, windy roads that go, you know, through mountains, along rivers, along the coast. But it it can be a challenge to try to put all of them together into a route that is easy to follow. Yeah, it's it's very different in the east. We really don't have an Angeles Crest Highway in which you get on and you ride for a hundred plus miles with great curves, and you don't need to worry about turns. Here, there are a lot of great roads, but they tend to be shorter, and uh, you have to be able to wind your way around any congestion or boring areas in order to link them together. And uh, that's where a GPS or routing app can be very valuable. You can ride all day on great roads away from cars and traffic as long as you have an app or some navigation uh, set up to allow you to do that. What do you find the best way is to, to actually do that? It's, uh, I like to, I have a whole bunch of uh, off the grid roads that I like to ride. And uh, the way to do that is to quickly uh, download a set of those type of roads into a folder and then just quickly link them together or just draw over it, send it to your GPS and go. And uh, it's not hard to, I, I live just outside of Boston and uh it's not hard to put together a route where we ride for hours and we don't see cars. We don't see McDonald's. We don't see commerce. And then you come out for lunch and it's, oh, wow, here we are. And you can do that with navigation. It would be very, very hard to do that without. So does that mean that you're tied to technology? Not at all. And uh, a lot of the, these roads that I uh, like to ride I found them either just through wandering around or just going online and you can go on Google Street View to see what something looks like. 
But uh, the beauty of navigation is if you don't feel like uh, following anything, just shut it off. I mean, you don't need to run it. And also, if you see something interesting, go, go that way. And you don't need to worry about getting lost because the GPS will route you back. Or like I say, just shut it off for the rest of the day and go explore. You don't have to be a slave to the technology, but it's nice to know it's there if you want it. it gives you the opportunity to, to enjoy the ride too and not have to have so much of your mental focus on following your fender and figuring out where your next turn's going to be. You can just listen to the, the GPS prompt in your head that tells you, you know, turn right on, uh, on Conde Highway or whatever the, the road happens to be. And you don't need to worry so much about keeping a, a group together too, because if everybody that you're riding with has the route on a GPS, then everybody can just ride their own ride. And, you know, you know where the stops are and uh, you know where the, the lunch place is going to be. And you can keep a group together without really having to do a whole lot of following the others because everybody can follow the route on their own. Yeah. It's uh, from, for me, a GPS allows me to ride without distraction. And I see so many car drivers and some people on bikes that seem very distracted when they're driving or riding, be it uh, with a phone or just uh, chatting with someone next to them, or simply looking for addresses or street names. I think most riders know that feeling where the vehicle in front of you is sort of vaguely going uh, at a slowish speed and you're really not sure what they're going to do. And uh, you see a lot of that with people that are looking. They're looking for something. Whereas with navigation, you can set it up so it's via audio. So you don't even have to look at your GPS or app, but you'll hear turn left 0.1 miles or turn left ahead on whatever the name of the street is. And it really frees up a big part of your mind that you used to have to use to navigate to actually be looking around and looking for that car that may be coming out of a side street or a driveway. For me, I find it uh, a, a safer way to ride. But like I said, you know, you're not feeling it that way that day. Just shut it off. Well, and I don't want to shut you off. And I get the feeling that you and I could probably keep talking for about two hours and then go out and uh, find a nice cold beer somewhere. But I think uh, our time is probably up for the afternoon. Um, is there anything that you'd like to conclude with? Yeah, absolutely. I, I'd like to thank, first of all, all the great people in NER, but uh, especially uh, the admins that help the group so much. Mike Woods, Steve Bruning, Steve Gallant, Greg Nebbia, Kate Murphy, and Tim Mangini, who has been running our photo contest this is uh, an interactive group without a uh, committee. There's no one that sets up events and all. So it's all just regular riders that are keeping the group running and keeping the events going. And the admins give up their time for no pay and no glory. And uh, I'm very thankful to all of them for keeping such a great group going. And here, here. Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm very uh, happy I found the group. It's brought a lot of joy to Debbie and I, and uh, I'm glad to help out any way I can.
Wonderful. So thanks for listening to uh, the Rider Insider podcast today uh, for Ed Condi. Uh, thank you very much, Ed. And uh, I'm Scott Williams. And uh, the next time we'll, uh, we'll talk to you again. Thanks for having me. If you've enjoyed listening to the Rider Magazine Insider podcast, please subscribe, leave us a positive rating and tell your friends. We also encourage you to visit ridermagazine.com where you can get the latest in motorcycle news and reviews and sign up for our free weekly newsletter. You can also subscribe to print and digital editions of Rider Magazine, which is published 12 times a year. Thanks again for listening.